0: Welcome to Weston Park Baptist Church on this final Sunday of July, well into the summer months. We've had lots of heat here. Uh, It's been a hot, hot summer, and I guess officially we're in a drought, a sequia. Um, Not a lot of rain. But we hope that where you are, you are sensing God's presence in his care. We've been looking at a variety of psalms. Psalms for the seasons of our lives. Whatever season, young, old, in between, the psalms speak to us. Interesting, David, uh, you know, it mirrors his life. David wrote a lot of the songs when he was younger. And... He lived a good long life, so they represent his life in different seasons of it. And today, here we look at uh, Psalm 57. Just a note on our uh, videotapings. This is the last Sunday we're going to do this exact sequence and uh, setup. So next week, we'll be back in the sanctuary uh, for most of the service. And certainly for the sermon. So, uh, we have a series of guests in the month of August, and uh, you will be seeing a different arrangement. We, we know that uh, God speaks to us through different voices, so it's good for us to hear from different folks. Um, so, you can kind of keep that in mind as we carry on. But here we have Psalm 57 and it's associated you'll notice the epigraph at the top if as you look at your text uh, it's associated with David's flight from King Saul Saul is king David is not the king yet but he will be eventually and 1 Samuel 22 and 24 tells the story of David and his relationship love-hate with King Saul and Saul In the background of this, Psalm is pursuing David in the desert, and he wants to kill him. In fact, he has 3,000 soldiers at hand, and they are combing the Judean desert looking for David. So that would be a pretty frightening experience. Not that big of a desert, although there's lots of places to hide and 3,000 people looking for you and pursuing you and pursuing your life. So that's the, the framework. In fact, there's an interesting twist to the story because as King Saul is out there, we're told that he goes into one of the caves to, to rest for a bit and in the shade, and he doesn't know that David actually is at the back of the cave. It's a long cave. And while Saul is awake, David's aides encourage him to kill him. Kill Saul, then you're free from all this. And David won't do that because Saul is the king. And, but what he does is he cuts off a little bit of the blanket that he's using and later calls out to Saul to let him know that, hey, I could have killed you, but I didn't, and here's the bit of the blanket that I, I cut off just to let you know. And so that's a bit of a turn in the relationship at that point. But David is fleeing, and has been for a while, so this psalm comes out of that experience. In fact, we're also told even um, the name of the hymn tune that they were using, or song, it's Do Not Destroy. So there was a folk song using this melody. And it's interesting that the David chose often those type of well-known melodies that were used in different frameworks and then put his own lyrics in. And through the generations of hymn writing, um, songwriters have often done that. So they haven't always just made up their own melody. They've chosen a melody that people know put in their own lyrics. And that's happened even in our Protestant worship bar songs. <laughs> The melodies have been used through the writing of hymns. So we need to be careful in terms of how we you know, look and judge everything that we hear because we don't know all the stories of our own heritage. And so that's the arrangement. So it begins. It's essentially a cry for help and then a cry of praise and thanks. So the, the psalm divides into two units help me, Lord, and then thank you, Lord. Reminded of Annie Lamont's comment that all of our prayers are one or the other, ultimately, help or thanks. So here's the cry for help, part of it. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until the destroying storms pass by. I cry to God, most high, to God, who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame those who trample on me. Selah, musical term. God will send forth his steadfast love and his faithfulness. So this is, goes from verses 1 to 5, but those are the first few verses, a cry for help. So you notice in verse 1, two times, there's a cry for mercy or note of mercy, mercy. And then also twice, refuge, refuge. And the word refuge there is a common metaphor used in the Psalms, ultimately looking at trusting in God. God, I make me your refuge. I am in refuge under your hands. So it's a cry for mercy. Mercy, mercy. Refuge, refuge. And when the people heard that reference to refuge, this metaphor, they would They would know that it's a call to look and trust in God. And indeed, the end of verse one, to hide under the shadow of God's wings. An eagle, or a hawk, an osprey, big birds caring for their young. I've told you that at the corner of our place down in Picton, down in. Prince Edward County, there's a big osprey's nest on top of a hydropole. And, and you can see very clearly the young ones, and then the big ospreys, both man and woman, male and female, really, and they're taking care of their young. And they, the little ones feel protected, and they're, they're just trusting. And when you approach the pole, they start uh, twerping away. And it's a call if the parents aren't there to come back and, you know, take care of them. So it's, it's an image here. May We rest under the shelter of God's hands. And then it's interesting in verse 2, we hear the statement, I cry to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. There, there's two names for God. They're not the same. So the first one, to God Most High, is Elohim, is God all-powerful over all creation, over all nations. This is Elohim, God over all, God the creator of this massive universe, creator of all humankind and all species, God of the earth, the solar system, the galaxy. This is Elohim. And so, David cries out, I cry to God Most High, to Elohim. But then the second word, to God, is El. So it's another name. And here, El is God who we can trust in, who we can depend on, who is willing to help us. That's El. So God Most High, Creator, El, God who is willing to help, who comes down to us, and indeed has a purpose for our lives. I like that in verse 2. Who has a vocation for us to embrace. And we're just reminded then that our work is is not necessarily and often not our true vocation. The purpose that God has for you is is not all tied up in what you do 9 to 5. Your purpose, your vocation is deeper than that. Who you are as a person and what you can bring to humanity in your individual way. How you can do that. We're all different. So this is God's purpose for like that. I like that. A cry to God, most high to God, who fulfills his purpose for me. So David was king. He had a purpose. But we all have our ultimate purpose and vocation. So taking refuge in God's hands, under His arms, knowing that He will do so for us, God Most High, Creator, El, the one who takes care of us, protects us. And then specifically, verse 3, who sends His messengers to help and save us. And the messengers, interesting, are God's Kesed, His steadfast love, and God's Emeth, His faithfulness or truth. You'll see that in verse 3. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame those who trample on me. Listen, God will send forth His steadfast love, Kesed, and His faithfulness or truth, Amen. But what does that really mean? God sends these messengers. God sends His love and His faithfulness. I mean, those are just abstract descriptions. So God can't really send those. So what he's really saying is, I will send myself. I will come in person, L, to watch over you. And then it's described through his steadfast love or loving kindness and his faithfulness and truth. Great is your faithfulness, we say. So David says, God's characteristics, his presence with me will help me. And that's love and his faithfulness. Such is God's hand for you and for me. And we can trust in the same way. Trust in God who walks with us and cares for us. Because his steadfast love is the same. God never changes. And God's faithfulness is the same. He works in his own timing, obviously. We said last week that God is a slow God. We have to be patient. In the end of this first unit, I lie down among lions that greedily devour human prey. Their teeth are spears and arrows, their tongues sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. So David now gets to the real point of his help, right? He's saying, help me, help me, help me. Starts that way. And then in verse 4, he says, help me over my enemies. Saul and his forces who are out to kill me. This this is the enemy that David has in mind right there. But I find it interesting that what is focused on really here are their words. It isn't so much that he's afraid for his life through actions. He is, but what really bugs him is the fake news that they are talking about and describing him and saying to all the people, Their teeth are spears, and their tongues sharp swords. This is what he goes at. Help me, Lord, because they are presenting me in their own narrative. They are framing me to the people of Israel this way, and Saul is trying to, you know, rationalize his own behavior. They're presenting him that way. Fake news. We have fake news today. So it's interesting to me that that's what David focuses on. He dwells. And that's a reminder to us to think in terms of the power of our words. Our careless words. How we describe others. How we describe certain situations. How we put all the blame on the others and we just happen to not tell the story which is about how we behave. We frame it one way. David is saying, Lord, help me, because all of this description gets me really down. And I do wonder how much we hurt other people. We may not hurt them physically, but maybe we hurt them through our own words. How have you been maligned by your enemies? How have I been maligned by my enemies? We ask that. Because it's happened. People use their words, and people have used their words against you and against me. And unfortunately, we often do the same to others, the power of words. How many wars in our world are initiated, instigated by words, by conversations, by hearsay? And we go to war. So, David cries for help. And then he says in verse 5, I like it, this is a chorus that's repeated also at the end, verse 11, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. So there's this cry for help. And then David recognizes that God indeed will work for me. I'm not sure when in the time frame this is happening for David, but he has a sense that God will indeed work. Verse 5, be exalted, may you be glorified. And really it mirrors the Lord's prayer in Matthew 6, that we pray through our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, and we pray for his care and his protection over us and others. So verse 5 mirrors what Jesus is saying in Matthew 6 when he teaches his disciples how to pray the Lord's Sermon on the Mount. So that, that's the first bit, the cry for help. And so we're, it's a cry to shelter under God's wings, even as the young call on their parents or the ospreys. So we, we call on God. We call on God for his comfort and we then praise him for his work in our lives. So help me, help me, help me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's where this psalm begins, Psalm 57. So it begins with a cry for help. And I hope that in your concerns, that you can go to God and trust in him for his work in your life. You'll note in verse 6 how it, how it ends. I didn't, I don't have the text there, but they set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. In the old days, they would actually dig a hole and then cover it with branches. And then as the troops were rushing after the individual, they'd fall into their own hole. They wouldn't see it and then fall down. Somebody else dug the hole, covered it up, and then their own forces fall in. That's verse 6. And so then the cry of praise carries on, verse 7 and 8. My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my soul, awake, O harp and lyre, I will awake the dawn. So my heart is steady, my heart is steadfast. That's not the same word as kested, God's steadfast love. This is another word. My heart is steadfast or steady, twice it's repeated. And as a result, I will sing and make music to God. Praise and worship often focuses on music, and it's been that way from the very beginning. And in fact, David uses this very lovely image that he will awaken the dawn with his own praise. Normally, the dawn wakes us up. David says here, I will awaken the dawn. And so the dawn here is personified. It's used... As a metaphor of praise, the dawn is presented as a person. And I will awaken the dawn, the personification of the dawn. It's a lovely image of getting up early and praising God, so David says, as part of his thanks. And then specifically, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples, verse 9 and 10. I will sing praises to you among the nations, For your steadfast love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness extends to the clouds. So David says, I will praise you. And I will praise you not only to Israel, but I will praise you to all the peoples of the world. (laughs) It's a big statement. I will lift up my soul in praise. And in fact, he's done that because here we are, 3,000 years later, using his song, using his words, Engaging them in our own praise. So he's thinking beyond here of his own little story to a broader story where God works for all of us, not only the Jewish nation, Israel, but also for the Gentiles. If you want more on that, you can look at Romans chapter 15. God is concerned for all the world, all the nations, all the peoples. So God is concerned for us. And David is going there in his statement. And then in verse 10, we have this repetition again of the messengers of God. His love, his steadfast love, Kesed, and his faithfulness. We hear it in verse 10. Note, for your steadfast love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness extends to the clouds. So that's a mirroring of verse 3. I praise you for your steadfast love and I praise you for your faithfulness and your truth your Kesed, your Emeth, how you have worked for me. And David gives praise. And then he sums it all up by using the same refrain as he used in verse 5, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. So there's a unit first, help me. Then the chorus in verse 5. And then, thank you, Lord, starting in verse 7. And it ends with the repetition in verse 11 of giving praise again. So that's the psalm. It's a lovely psalm. Not too long. God's help and then our response of praise. So we looked at last week the idea of God, of us clinging to God and God holding on to us. The two go together. God helps us. And then we give praise, the same idea in Psalm 57. So where where do we go with this? What do we say? Well, I think we follow what David does here and be thankful for God's goodness and love for us. That's the first one, be thankful. It's interesting, Psalm 36, verse 5 and 6, pick up the same themes. Note, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds, your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your judgments are like the great deep. You save humans and animals alike, O Lord. We sing a song, Your love, O Lord, reaches through the heavens. It's based on this text, psalm thirty six, but we it's also psalm thirty seven. So are we thankful for God's goodness and his love for us? Number one, two, Are we thankful with our whole selves? It's interesting, verse 4 talks about our soul, and then verse 5 talks about our heart. Let's just look at that. Soul and heart, you can see that. Actually, it's verse 1. For you, my soul takes refuge. And then God's work in our heart, soul and heart, you can see that. And the point of that is our whole selves. When the people of that time, when they thought of their persons, they they thought particularly of their soul and their heart as being the center. We would think more of our mind. But the idea is to be thankful for our whole selves, so it is not simply a religious response. That's what he's saying. Not some shallow response that we include in our religiosity. It's not some sort of form thing we go to. God is not remote, but he is with us. He is El, who comes to take care of us. And so we give an honest response of thanks with our whole person. So we enter into what Buber says, our I-thou relationship. It's honest. One to one that's our relationship with God. And then we end with the idea that God is always the same. God is the God of covenant. And this is important to us. Genesis 1 talks about God creating all the earth. God is the creator of the universe. God creates light. And it's interesting now the Webb telescope is is peering back into the creation story some 13 billion years and it has seen the first lights and and all of this does is, is raise to us the glory of God and his power as creator let there be light and all of a sudden all of these millions of galaxies appear let there be light this is God's covenant with us God creator to creation And it carries all the way through these 13 billion years up to us as the people of God, the Laos of God, Jesus as our Savior, Redeemer. This is all part of the covenant of God. And so we are to give Him praise for His commitment to us, His consistency. And have confidence in him because he has made a covenant with us. When we see the rainbow in the sky, that's a reminder of God's covenant with Noah. It's, it's to us too. So God is always speaking. The issue is will we have an open ear and hear? Will we be able to read the signs of the times? Acts right. Listen to the writer of Hebrews as we close. Hebrews 10, 16 and 17. I don't have it on the screen. This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord. No, this is the covenant. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And he also adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these there is no longer any offering for sin. God makes a covenant. Covenant with all of humanity. And our invitation is to say yes to open our hands, not live with clenched fists, to open our hands to say yes, to enter into that covenant, to be participants in the covenant with God. The Old Testament and New Testament speak to the same story here. So in your life, right now, July 2022, may you open your hearts, your minds, give a big smile to God's grace upon your life, to hear what his spirit has to say to you in the here and now, in Jesus' name, amen.